I had a unique experience uh, a few days ago, unique to me. Uh, many, many of you have experienced it. And uh, my dad died. He had, uh, he had stalled for a long time. And if you're new here, he was 100 years old last summer. So he was in his 101st year, and uh, um, he got out of here. In recent times, I've been studying uh, a little bit of uh, stuff that people who, who claim to have gone to heaven and come back, and they talk about what they saw. And it's, uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, by the way, if you do any of that, always, always, always remember the Scripture is the standard. Now, the Scripture doesn't give a lot of details about heaven. So mostly what you have to do when somebody starts talking about going to heaven and coming back and they start telling you about it, if it contradicts anything in the Scripture, just set it aside and say, well, whatever. You don't even have to make a judgment on that. Uh, you're not the judge. But uh, I am. So oh, No, I'm... <laughs> anyway, so the... Uh, one of the things that has come out in this, uh, in this recent time is that in heaven they know when one of their people are about to come home or whatever you want to call it. So that not only Jesus, but family members, friends, anybody who wants to can gather in a place where they arrive and greet them so that there is a welcoming committee. And those that have been there and uh, claim to have been there and come back uh, say it's, it's a party. And, of course, the big deal is see, to see Jesus, but there's also these other people. And as we were preparing my dad's funeral service, there was a couple guys that uh, I, I call his boys. Now, he had two sons by my mother, okay? But then there are these men that came out of his ministry and became pastors, and um, if they wanted to try to get to Tulsa for that service, I wanted them to say something in the, in the service, and one of them was able to do that. The other one was a guy that dad won to the Lord himself, and uh, he was a jockey and rode quarter horses in races and was just a cowboy type and gave his life to the Lord and has, has established a church about uh, 15 miles south of Roswell, New Mexico um, that's doing huge things in that community. Probably they have more in attendance than the population of their town. It, it's just they, they have a community center, and, and this guy had the church build a full-fledged, functional rodeo arena, have real rodeos, and ministry to all those people, and these old, tough, hard-bitten cowboys, rodeo cowboys, get saved and just as rough as a cob, and just love Jesus with all their heart. And uh, they had all kinds of ministries, have all kinds of ministries going on, and they had a kids thing. And one of the uh, 
One of the families that brought their kid to this lives out on the other side of Roswell, but this is their church and so forth. And this this little guy of, of theirs won um, this kid's thing. Could you show that picture, please? Um, this is a seven-year-old, and that's the saddle he won, and his name is Caden Brewer. And... About the time, uh, actually it was right after my dad passed away, Caden experienced a horrific, tragic accident at his home place and was killed. Now before he died, just a few days before he died, he had said to his folks, Who's the, what's the fastest horse in the world? And they said, Secretariat. And he said, I want to ride him. And they said, you can't, he's dead. So that story put together now kept the pastor, one of dad's boys, kept him from being able to come to dad's service because he had to conduct this service. And the, um, the evening that he had had that service, which, of course, when a child that age dies, it just, it just cuts your midsection out. It is, it's just such an awful, painful thing in some ways. But his pastor... And I were talking on the phone, and he said, uh, he said, I have this vision. He said, uh, your dad's been in heaven for a few days, and this, he hears that this little kid, cowboy from Roswell, New Mexico, is about to arrive. And when this little kid gets there, dad has decided to go down and just witness his arrival and maybe speak to him or see if he knows some of the family because dad knew lots of cowboys around Roswell. And this little boy's pastor said to me, I believe that when Caden got there, right away, he asked about, he asked Jesus about writing secretariat. And Jesus raised up and looked around and over here on the edge of the crowd. And he said, newbie, come take this guy to the stables. He needs to ride secretariat. Now, that to me is a huge comfort. These people that go to heaven and come back claim to do so, say that you, you do get, you know, I've heard people talk about fishing in heaven. Boy, I'm going to fish in heaven. And, and they say, yes, you will. It's better. <laughs> 
but you will do that. And so there's every reason, I think, to believe, and this is not against what the Scripture said. In the first place, we know there are horses in heaven. You never thought about that? What about white horses and all these horses that we come back on when we come back to the earth with Jesus? Hello? You should read the book. It's in there. Now, the, um, the business of your pets going to heaven, uh, a lot of people just know that their pets go to heaven. It doesn't matter what Scripture says. The Scripture doesn't say that I am aware of anything about that. <laughs> it just doesn't say. But uh, there is nothing that would preclude that. And since there are horses in heaven, uh, I, those of you who know my dad's story know that uh, he had a couple of very fine yellow quarter mares, and he bought this uh, animal that was imported from India, about this tall at the shoulder, and, and the technical term is ass, okay? Please just get over the little, <laughs> and that's the technical, that's what they are. And they're not little burros like the little Mexican burros. They're, they're an animal, um, and Dad bought this white uh, jack, and for years tried to raise a yellow mule out of his quarter mares. Never did get a yellow mule. Got some really fine mules. Was known around the community for these for these fine mules, and they were they were well trained because that was his hobby, and and he put the time in. Um, if it's like they say in heaven, uh, one of the first things that Dad will do is is breed this jack to a yellow mare and get a yellow mule. Never got one here. They were always a little bit of a roan and um, a little more sorrel. It, you know those terms, more reddish. But I think he'll get a yellow mule. And if he doesn't, it's still going to be heaven. <laughs> now, I've, I've talked about this little boy who's about so tall, seven years old, and who he was was this little champion cowboy at that age. And I've talked about my dad who was taller than that and older than that and was known as many things um, and one of the one of the th- tributes that I read at the service uh, was from a guy, and he said something about his horsemanship, and then he said, parenthesis open, I guess I should say mulemanship, parenthesis closed. He was known as that. He was this godly man that led these people to the Lord and lived a godly life before them, but he he was known as that. And I didn't... I don't think he would have said that if I had asked him, who, who are you, Dad? He would have said something about the Lord. He might have said, I was, I, I'm the guy that was married to the greatest woman that ever lived because he was crazy about his wife, my mother. But he was known by others in this way. And I want to 
say a few things today about our self-identity. When we talk about self, remember this. When the Scripture speaks about the self-life, it says it must die. You must die to self. Back where I came from, we would say you have to kill that sucker. And that was the, that's the word in Scripture, deny self, take up your cross, die to these things. Um, Paul talked about his, his uh, political position, his religious position, his educational position. And uh, he said, I count it all as manure. The old English used in the King James is dung. And it just, it just means uh, usually animal fecal waste. That's just, that's all, it, that's what it is. And that's dying to all of this stuff. When Jesus uh, came into the world, he humbled himself of all, self, of all his rights, his prerogatives as God, as creator of the universe. He became human. He became a human slave, and he became a human crucifix. And that's just, that's the picture. So if, if self-identity and self-worth is important to you, I have good news for you today. You don't have to waste your time on that because the Lord has a better way, and I'm going to show it to you. Now, in the U.S., um, a very recent survey was uh, conducted by the Barna Group that sought what people's personal identity was. And um, Americans rank number one, their family, as their personal identity. Number one, that was um, followed by being an American is number two. Number three was my religious faith. Number four was my ethnic group. Uh, number five is my career, number six is my state, and number seven, my city town. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in that survey, but it was a scientific survey and, and is trustworthy and doesn't come as any surprise to us. When we come to our personal identity, when we come to Jesus, I want you to get this. If we have anything else that is pulling us as uh, who we are, anything else other than belonging to Jesus Christ, walking with Jesus, having abandoned self, if you will, and, and thrown whatever is left of our self-life onto the Lord. Let me just say it like this. That is who we are. It is about Jesus. 
And the Holy Spirit spoke to us today, the Lord proclaiming himself to be light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Then the nature of that light being what it is, we become the light of the world because it is the nature of that light that he is that it changes into light that on which it shines. So we are the light of the world. Now, I, I was talking uh, some time ago, maybe last week actually, with a Christian that I happen to know, and uh, this, is, this person is, um, I like this person, let me just put it that way. I respect this person, but they were, they were reeling off how awful their life is right now, and it was like, I, I, this doesn't sound like a Christian This sounds like a terrible victim, terribly victimized, did I say? This sounds like you don't want a piece of that. And if an unbeliever were listening to our conversation, they'd just say, well, check off Christianity. I'm not not up for that. It was awful. And they were just reeling off the stuff that's real. Okay? You say, well, you ask me to lie? No. No, I'm asking you to change your focus. Because we have as our purpose in this life works that were prepared before God made the world. Those works were prepared for us to do. The Lord knew that sin would come in and mess up the stuff that he had so beautifully created, and he loved it so much that he said, I'll just redeem it. I'll get it back. I'm not going to wipe it out and start over. Now, it seems to me that would have been simpler, but I'm not God, and you can be glad. Uh, I often laugh and say, I'm not the Holy Spirit, and all of us are glad about that, including me. I don't want to be the Holy Spirit. But uh, the picture is very simple. We have a job to do. We have the lost to reach around us, the broken to heal. And as a pastor... I would like to get hold of that person that I mentioned that I was visiting with whose life is such a mess. I would like to see if I couldn't help them redeem some of this and pull out of that hole. Because we do not live by what we can see. You're asking me to be unreal. I hear you say it. You know, it's like you you want me to be fake. Here, I've worked all this time to try to be transparent, and you want me to be a fake. No, no, I don't want you to be a fake. I want you to change worlds. You need a conversion, and you may be saved, but you need to be converted to the fact that God's promises are real. They will not fail. They cannot fail. 
And in 1 John, the second verse, it says, not, not 1 John, 3 John, the second verse, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. Now, the standard there is if your soul is getting along well, then there is the possibility of material prosperity, physical health. This is what we need is the foundation. We want the foundation laid solidly, firmly, deeply. We built this building right here on a, a limestone shelf. It's pretty deep, pretty thick, and it's not flat like a tabletop, so we, we didn't know exactly what we were going to be getting into when we built this, and uh, the lowest point of the, the dirt that we moved was 12 feet down from what was then the ridge, which would be up above my head, above where I can reach standing here, and we, we came down to leave four inches of clay between the bottom of our baptistry and this limestone shelf, this, this rock. Now, that makes this building as much as buildings built on this earth by humans, that makes it pretty stable. We have a foundation that from the human point of view and from an architectural point of view, engineering and designing point of view, should be fairly stable. Of course, earthquakes and so forth can change everything, but, but at this point, that looks good. Looks like we're, we're okay, and, and four inches gives that elasticity enough so that the earth can move, the rocks can move, and the building can move and not break anything. We have a foundation that will stand during earthquakes, can stand during tornadoes. I'm from Oklahoma. It has become the earthquake center of the United States. And we used to really give the people in California a bad time for all those earthquakes, and they'd say, yeah, but we don't have tornadoes. So now we Okies get it all. It's just wonderful. And uh, what we are dealing with in our Christian walk is, is God going to do what he said he's going to do in my life? Now, the enemy has a heyday with our legalism, we know what we deserve because we haven't been good all the time. And part of the time when we wanted you to think we were being good, we weren't being good. We were just being secretive about the bad. And you legalists just responded to that, you know. Yeah. Yep, that's me. 
Then there is that which says, but that's not what the Scripture says. And so we start trying to find excuses for God to not do what it's pretty clear he, it says he does. And I want this bunch, when a successor stands here and is trying to lead you upward and forward and into the glories of God, I want us to be in such a condition spiritually that we know who we are. Now, if you lose your job, in the United States especially, it gets real weird inside because so much of our identity as North Americans comes from our job. Now, our personal identity in in Barna's uh, survey sh- says that that's number five. But the way the questions were structured, you could that could be there. But when when a, especially a male loses his job in our culture, it it is shattering in many instances. It just tears us up. If if a if we become ill or if our our marriage gets um, bad, whatever term you'd like to use there, we can be all messed up. Depression. We have we have death. I have noticed that death comes to people in this congregation. This year, it's like we, we've only had forty seven or something. I don't not quite, but. There's so many of us have lost people. Now, when you have a parent that's over 100 years old, you know you're going to be on that list soon. But a lot of these people who died were not that old. And whatever happens, we need to know who we are. Okay? So, Just shut yourself in for a moment, and let me ask you, just you, who are you? On what is your self-identity based? What is your foundation? In speaking about this in earlier sermons, I have made reference to a a revelation the Holy Spirit gave to me personally of John, the 15th chapter, verse 16. The first part of that verse says, Jesus speaking to his disciples the night that he was betrayed, the night before he died, Jesus said to these guys, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Now, if you have rejected yourself as unworthy, if you're a legalist and a very guilt-ridden one at that, that's really good news. That's, that's what the Lord spoke to this person who fits that description I just made. I did not choose God. I thought I did. Part of my story is when I was at Southwestern, ripe old age of 16, talked about heaven. I went, we were in church <laughs> In chapel, five days a week, twice on Sunday, Wednesday night, and Friday night. 
That's more than I've got fingers on one hand. And they talked about heaven a lot in the 50s. And when they would talk about heaven, I would, I just had this mental picture for me. It was just a lake of fire. It was just this, all these flames. That was what I saw. And that got pretty old. So the Holy Spirit helped me with this and and led me one afternoon. I went to my dorm room, got my Bible, and looked up the passage where Jesus is talking about the ones the Father gave him, and he said, uh, and he that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. That's the King James. That's what I was reading. And so I said, okay, God, I am coming to you. And you said you would not cast me out, so you're not casting me out, so I belong to you, and I'm yours. Now, do you see that? Do you see this picture? I've got God by the arm, and I'm twisting it, making him take me. Now, that's good theology. That's real sound. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He came after us. He paid whatever it cost to get us. But that's where I was. And for years, I thought, well, God has to take me. I came to him. (laughs) That's really encouraging. Do you see how weird our minds get? Now, you may not be as crazy as I am, but you're trying hard. So you're probably close. And when it comes to this, just get the message. Jesus says, you didn't choose me. You didn't have this idea. You didn't catch me and tackle me and hold me down until I promised to accept you. I chose you, turkey. I chose you. And that's who you are. And that is why we can have an identity that if you lose your job or you lose your health or you lose your family, you are the one that God chose. Stand in it. I belong to God. And I remember when that began to soak into my thick head, and you can imagine how thick that skull is. When that began to soak into my head and begin to be, this is who I am. So you can jump on me and accuse me of being where, where obviously I'm really good, like driving. You can accuse me of being a bad driver. And of course, I know I'm a wonderful driver. It's you that's a bad driver. I, I know you. You go faster than I am sometime, and that makes you a maniac. When you go more slowly than I, that makes you an idiot. So you know, you know how quality driving right here, right here. But you see, you can, and I, I don't get, I don't get patted on the head much about my driving one guy that I, whose opinion I respect very, very much, I'd been carrying him around for a few days, and he said, 
you're a good driver. Now, I'd been trying really, really hard. And I probably had been driving pretty well. Uh, that's a nice change. I'm sure the neighborhood felt safer and so forth. But uh, you see, it's not about, that's not who I am. I'm the one that God chose. And nothing can change that. Who are you? Who are you? We know we're not holy because we sin, and the soul that sins dies. So, you know, get over the holiness thing. You say, I haven't sinned in a long time. Did you ever sin? Well, yeah. Okay, you're dead. You know, that's what sin does. It destroys, takes us out. And then Jesus comes and just starts building back, and he builds it back in a way that no one can touch it. It, It's never been this good. Never, ever been this good. And Paul talking to the believers in Ephesians, the third chapter, says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the saints, to, to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That's who you are. If the apostles' prayer got answered, that's who you are. You are the one filled with all the fullness of God. Uh, There is that passage in Ephesians, the next chapter there, chapter 4, where we the list of ministry gifts are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and this is all done and all given so that the church may grow up in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Now, perfect there is the, in the original language, means full grown, a real deal Christian Man, woman, uh, perfect, full-grown, full height, full of everything filled out. The skeletal structure, the musculature, all of, the, all of the systems of the body, everything filled out, full-grown, perfect. That's who you are. Well... You say, I don't see that. And I'm not going to argue with you about that because I may not see that either. But that's who God claims you are. And I want us this morning, before we leave this room, I want us to, to be able to take our stand. And as Colossians 1.27 says to them, that is you guys, the church, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. You are the one in whom Christ dwells. You say, well, I don't feel like it. Let me repeat myself. You are the one in whom Christ dwells, the hope of glory. Well, I still don't feel like it. Would you, not, would you stop changing the subject? The subject is, God says, and that settles it, and you are the one that God chose. Jesus Christ himself called you. 
He got in your face and drew you to himself and loved on you and healed you if you opened yourself to him. That's who you are. Now, you say, I've heard this. You have preached this better than that for a long time. And I just want to say, get off my back, but I won't. I want us, no matter what the enemy throws at us in the coming months, no matter what the enemy, did you get it? What, no matter what the enemy throws at us, and it will feel like we are doing something wrong or another Christian is doing something wrong, and we, get, we give ourselves permission to be jerks if another Christian acts like a jerk. Have you noticed that? Yeah, you. Well, <laughs> don't give me that. Quote Scripture. You don't know what they did to me. And I want to say I don't care. I do, but I don't care as much as you do. Because if all things work together for good, then here's your chance to say, whoa, Lord, that hurts. That must be going to work some serious good in me of the person of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? I dare you to disprove it from the Scripture. I'm real hard-headed about this. This is what God calls us to. He calls us to be the expression of Jesus Christ in a way that will change everything around us, starting inside us, and then if you don't like me, I'm still the guy that God chose. If you think I do a terrible job, you might, be, you might be right, but that's not. See, the job I do is not my identity. My identity is Jesus says, hey, you, yeah, you, you the one that you thought forced me to take you. You, get over here. Dear one, I want this in our hearts. I don't want us to be available to all of this, the winds of stuff. Our country may be set up for some hard times. I don't know what the future holds. And you know, if it holds bad stuff, what that means? Nothing. Because the grace of God will be with us all the way through. And as your day is, so shall your strength be so you can have a horrible day the worst day in the world and you have the strength to manage it is that true i want to pray for you and i want to pronounce over you that business because whatever comes whatever comes in your life, God is unchanged, and his promises are going to get clearer and clearer to us. Start doing this in, inside. You don't have to do it on the outside, but on the inside, I want you to be saying, yep, yep, that's what he's doing. And if you 
belong to Jesus Christ and are part of this congregation, I want a, I want a chance to pronounce over you this business that God dwells here. He is love. We can love the ones that are not lovely or lovable, whether they're in the world or whether they're in the, in the next pew. Sometimes these are more difficult to love because we expect more out of them. But the love of God will just rise up and love them too. And that's who we are. We are the ones who love if God is love. May we stand? And I would like for you to just step out and come down here, and I want to pronounce this prayer over you and this, make this proclamation that this is who we are. Just step right on out, please. Please.